covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. We are recording this on a Sunday night, which means the most recent game for the Brewers was the game in which they were no hit by Alec Mills and uh, just not a great spot for the team to be in right now. Still a lot that they can accomplish, but at the same time, they're not playing great baseball and you don't know if they will be able to accomplish uh, the things that they would like to be able to do here moving forward. Before we get to anything else, our normal housekeeping items at the top of the podcast, if you want to reach out to me, you can do so uh, on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, if you can leave a ranking and review and subscribe to it, that would also be fantastic. Brewers, and this is one of those weeks where, you know, this is a weekly podcast, so we look back at the week that was for the team, but this is one of those weeks where we're recording on Sunday night and it's tough to look much past what happened on Sunday afternoon when the Brewers were no hit by Alec Mills. But really, when we do take a step back, it's, it create, it was a weird week. I guess that's the best way to put it. It was a weird week. And really, we'll go back to Wednesday and just kind of the path that the team took from Wednesday on. Because Wednesday was the game that they beat Detroit by a 19-0 score. And again, it was one of those points where you're sitting there thinking, okay, is this going to be the game that gets them going from an offensive standpoint? They have Thursday off, and then they come back, and they open up the series against the Cubs on Friday night. They have a tough offensive performance, scoring only one run. Thankfully for them, Brandon Woodruff was incredible, where he went seven innings, giving up just one hit with 12 strikeouts and no walks. And with that, the Brewers were able to come up with a with a one nothing win. So they went from winning 19 nothing to winning one nothing. I joked at the time that, hey, over the two-game period, they were averaging 10 runs a game. So that's not bad, but clearly they followed up the 19-run performance with a one-run performance. Then you go into Saturday, and Ryan Braun has a two-run home run in that game. The team is up 2-0 going in the ninth inning, and Josh Hader couldn't hold it. He gives up a couple home runs. He gives up four runs in the ninth, so you were three outs away from securing a series victory against the Cubs to being split with the Cubs, needing to win on Sunday. And then on Sunday, not only is the team no hit, they end up losing by a 12-0 score. I would actually argue, this is kind of a weird thing to say, I would actually argue that Alec Mills throwing the no-hitter almost kind of masked some of the, the deeper issues that existed with the team on Sunday. You know, if Mills gives up one hits or two hits, he still throws a shutout but gives up just a hit or two, the focus isn't on the no-hitter. It is. I mean, the focus is on the fact that the Brewers couldn't do much offensively, which is something that would uh, that, that has continued on. But we would also be talking about the fact that they did not play good defense. They did not pitch especially well. Adrian Hauser had a real hard time uh, throwing his pitches for strikes. I mean, there were a lot of things that they did not do well on Sunday. It's... Uh, that's probably the worst place, worst played game of the year for the Brewers, and it came really at a terrible time with everything that the Brewers have in front of them that they can accomplish. Now, that being said, they still have everything that they want to accomplish right in front of them. 
The Brewers are two games back of the Cardinals for second place in the NL Central. Top two teams in the division make it into the postseason. And the Brewers and the Cardinals will play 10 games against each other moving forward. So of the of the remaining schedule, the Brewers have 10 against the Cardinals, three against Kansas City, and three against Cincinnati. The Brewers still have every chance in the world to be a postseason club with as many games as they have against the Cardinals moving forward, but they have to play better. They have to play better, and... At this point, they would be flipping some sort of a switch because they just haven't played great baseball. And offensively, they've got to do better. Pitching has held up for the most part. I mean, pitching wasn't great on Sunday, but you can't really blame the pitching for the Brewers' 20-24 and record. They're not winning games because they're not scoring runs. So a lot to accomplish. by When we're talking on this podcast next week, Uh, A lot more is going to be secure and a lot more is going to be set and a lot more is going to be known in terms of the Brewers are still really in the postseason hunt or not. They'll play five straight games against the Cardinals starting on Monday. If they have success there, then they'll have an opportunity to uh, try to win a series against Kansas City, try to win a series against Cincinnati, and then go into that final weekend where they will uh, play five more games against the Cardinals. With that, could th- those five games at the end of the season could determine uh, which one of those two teams is going to be a postseason club this year. But before they can even get to that point, they've got to play well here this week in the five games in three days. All right, here's what's coming up on the podcast this week. Kurt Hoag's going to join us. He uh, reappears on the podcast. Good conversation with him coming up in just a moment or so. And uh, we'll also really look forward to uh, what's going to be happening this upcoming week. This is Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, Signing an announcement. Bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to be able to welcome back on to the podcast Kurt Hoagie is a uh, sports reporter with the uh, Journal Sentinel. At one point, he uh, covered uh, the Brewers with MLB.com. You can still read his thoughts uh, on the Brewers and his uh, newsletter that he uh, puts together. We'll get into all that coming up in uh, just a few moments. But let's let, welcome uh, Kurt on to the program. Hey, Kurt, how are you? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? I'm all right. We're recording this on uh, on Sunday evening. We're about 90 minutes or so since uh, the Brewers were no hit by the Cubs, and it's been a struggle this year offensively all season long for the Brewers, but certainly the punctuation mark seemingly was uh, was the no-hitter on Sunday. Before we start going to like specific things, just give me kind of where you're at with this club right now and, and, and your thoughts on the way Sunday went down. Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting position to be with them because as recently as two days ago, Friday night, after uh, Brandon Woodruff, you know, delivered that excellent performance, which was right on the heels of Corbin Burns pitching just as well, you start to kind of see a path for this team to do it again in September. You know, you, you hope maybe the offensive come around a little bit and then just, you know, a gut punch um, for the Brewers on Saturday night. And then I don't even know what to call Sunday. Is it a gut punch or is it just like a, like a, like a, a, just a straight knockout. I, just, I don't even know what to, what to say about them at this point. 
it's amazing, and we knew that there could be big turns in a 60-game season, but to think through the 10 innings starting with the ninth inning on Saturday to the end of the game on Sunday, they were they went from being up 2-0 and securing a series win against the Cubs to losing two out of three and getting no hit. It really was a remarkable turn over the course of just 10 innings of baseball. Yeah, and, and going into that 10th inning, or the ninth inning, sorry, on um, Saturday night, you know, you're kind of second the Cardinals score. I think they were in a close game. That ended up being a blowout, but you're saying, all right, if the Brewers can pull this one out, if Josh Hader could close it out, their third straight shutout, you know, they're playing great baseball. And at worst, they're two games back of St. Louis. Bring it to, obviously, what is a very big series. And and, and, and the end of the game was is three games you know, after one of the, what ended up transpiring. You mentioned it on a, on a tweet that you sent out Sunday, and you're 100% correct. I'll read your tweet. The Brewers could have probably been hit, no hit three times by this point this season. Today it finally caught up to their offense. That's true. I mean, it For a while there, it seemed like they were being no hit into the sixth or seventh inning three, four times a week, and uh, a couple did go even even deeper than that. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's easy to make a lot of the no-hitter because it's a no-hitter, but at the same time, there's really not a whole lot of difference between what the Brewers did on Sunday and what they've done in a number of other games this year. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I was actually did not realize that the Cardinals ended up losing to me. So it's only, it still is only two games um, behind them going to that series. But yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. At the end of the day, you know, it's a shutout loss, and they haven't had. I don't. I don't believe they've had a ton of shutout losses, but they have had a ton of quiet, quiet offensive games. Or maybe they scratch across a couple later. They get one early and. You know they they get blanked the rest of the way, and it's it's a, it's a concern. And and there's really nothing you can do right now. You can't go out of that. Um, you can't nothing you can do except hope that your top hitters turn it around in in some capacity. Jesse Rogers from ESPN Chicago tweeted this out. The Brewers were 0 for 11 on hard hit balls, and based off Statcast expecting batting average on those uh, on those uh, different batted balls, the chance that none of them to go for a hit was 0.07 percent. So that kind of goes back to the point I was making a moment ago. They could have very easily had one hit or two hits. Uh, this doesn't really, you know, the fact that they got no hits doesn't really change anything. It's just it, it's the struggles offensively, and it's uh, it's almost more remarkable that it ended up being a no hitter when you look at that number based off the hard-hit balls. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was not their worst offensive performance of the year, as funny as that is to say. They, they hit some balls hard, and, and they've had this happen a couple times this year, actually, you know, where they've lost games where they've hit the ball hard and had nothing to show for it. Today, it wouldn't have mattered with the way that, you know, the defense and the pitching was. It, it wasn't going to affect the outcome, but um, they, they've had worse offensive performances than getting no hit, which is is saying a lot about where they are at this point in the season. Of the, what is it, uh, they've got 10 games left against uh, St. Louis. They'll play 16 games, and, and 10 of them are against St. Louis. So it's kind of the same narrative that we've gone with all season long with the expanded postseason, and you just alluded to it a moment ago. They still have everything in front of them. They still can, they're, they're still right there in playoff contention, and the idea of catching the Cardinals is not a crazy thought, 
But at the same time, Kurt, it's really tough to think about this team as being a legitimate playoff squad when we see not even just how inconsistent the offense has been, but how really all the offense has been this year is just flashes of good followed by generally longer periods of not good. Yeah, I think it's, and that speaks a lot to uh, you know this them being in the playoff hunt speaks a lot to the current the current format of the year because in a normal season this team isn't getting they're not close to sniffing the postseason right now I I would assume unless that that second wild card is is within a couple games but I don't think, I don't believe that that should be the case but even even with eight teams making the playoffs you just kind of look at this team and think about how they've played in the offense and you go that's that's not that's not a a playoff team yet it's crazy that they're you know we could be we could be coming out of Monday's doubleheader and the Brewers could be tied with for second place division. So the shortened season is producing as ridiculous and crazy and wild results as possible. The Brewers who I don't think anyone right now would sit there and tell you they're a good team, um, are still within earshot somehow. Yeah, I'm looking at the standings right uh, Incredibly, so the team with the fifth best record in the National League is Miami, so they would be the second wild card as it would sit right now, and the Brewers are actually only three games behind them. So even if there was the regular season, you know, the regular five-team playoff like it's been before, they would act, they would still kind of be in contention, which is just crazy to think about. Yeah, they've done enough winning. I mean, they haven't packed together any real winning streaks. I don't know if they've won three in a row on that. Uh, uh, you know, we're just trying to share on that. Um, but they also haven't haven't lost five in a row. Yeah. They haven't lost eight of ten. You know, they, they haven't done those kinds of things repeatedly, which is giving them enough of a chance to stick around. And that's that's all the credit to the pitching staff and, and those those front-end starters and and the long relief in Williams and, for the most part, Josh Hader. Yeah, I think they have one three-game winning streak this year. I'm looking real quick. Yeah, so uh, it was actually against the Cubs back in mid-August. They won three in a row, and that is a, they've never won more than three in a row this year, which is, again, just kind of shows the up-and-down nature of, uh, of this year's team. So I got this question on my post-game show on WTMJ today, and I found it kind of interesting because I – to me, the answer is is no, but I also realize getting to the postseason is worth something. Somebody texted into me and said, "Hey, at what point do you start maybe pitching Burns and Woodruff on three days rest if if that's going to get you in the postseason?" My initial thought was, "No, you don't. This season isn't worth doing that, especially with." injuries to pitchers and, and things like that but it is an interesting thought when those guys have been as good as they've been which still that's what makes this team scary if they get into a three-game series and can pitch those guys two out of three you actually feel pretty good about it do you do anything if we get in the final week of the season or get to that final weekend against st louis uh and the brewers are, are right there do you do anything extra like that to try to just get into the postseason even if it's getting into the postseason as a sub 500 team yeah i mean i think going into that in that final week is when you start tinkering with it thinking about it a little bit um it's it's not 2008 you know in terms of what we know about pitchers and and their arms and, and how they're treated as well and so cc sabathia who, who's the, the guy that comes to any you know, anyone who's followed the brewers for any decent amount of time and you're talking about pitching on three days rest the man did it for what i believe four or five straight starts and, and so that just does not happen in today's game and I don't think Burns or Woodruff are 
are more tough to do that at this point. But I, I do think absolutely, absolutely, it's something they the team considers. You know, if they've got to throw Woodruff and Burns back to back on on back to back three day rest starts to you know sneak them both in one more time to hopefully get that second place spot in the division or the last spot in the playoffs. Um, but that's that's one, that is an interesting interesting discussion that. I'm sure they, if they haven't already had it, they will start discussing. Kind of on that, but looking even forward to next year, are you at all concerned? There's there's numbers out there that show if a pitcher throws X number of innings one year and then it goes up exponentially the next year, once you cross a, th- a certain threshold, uh, there there's a lot more chance for injuries. Are you concerned, not just for the Brewers, but this is a Brewers conversation, but across Major League Baseball, with the shortened season this year, what it's going to be like for starters next year where all of a sudden they're being expected to go maybe from throwing you know 70 innings max this year to being 200-type inning guys next year? Yeah, so I think the concern with that is – is often with you know with, with, with younger guys with arms arms in the minor leagues prospects who maybe pitched at a short season A ball and they threw 60, 70 innings and all of a sudden now they're in double A, um, and you want to kind of limit them. But but there is always an injury concern with pitchers. We've seen it this year, and I think you would you would have you would have to just be oblivious to say that that there's not going to be some sort of concern with workload from going from what they're currently doing to ramping up and doing it back again over. Over six months, I, I think with the, with the way we saw the league wide, you know, pitching healthy this year, so many guys going down for weeks at a time. It turned out to be the whole season for a lot of them. Um, I, I, I would I would I would expect it to be a little better than what we saw with the quick ramp up. You know, you've got guys who can throw in the off season and they know when they're going back to spring training and they can work up over four or five weeks as opposed to two weeks throwing scrimmages against your own teams. Um, luckily, the Brewers have been on, on the pretty positive side of, of the pitching injuries um, to date, but it, it's, it's, to, answer your, to answer your question in, in a short amount of short, short fashion, um, something to definitely keep your eye on, but I would think this year is, is going to end up being worse in terms of injuries. It, it's kind of, we look at the Brewers, and I, I don't know if there's a correlation to this or not. I was just thinking about this over the last few days because there's a lot of credit that goes to the organization specifically uh, for Corbin Burns, and a lot of people are talking about the, the pitching lab down in Arizona. And I do just uh, – I, I think it's all kind of in there together that you give the Brewers credit where a year where we're seeing pitchers just go down right and left – Brewers pitchers, for the most part, have been able to avoid those big injuries, and then we know about the data and the science that they put into their pitching, and we're seeing specifically the results of that right now with Corbin Burns, and and to me, it's another area where the organization deserves a lot of credit, because it seems like, at the very least, they've got a pretty good idea on the the, the science behind pitching, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting, because last year, at the, you know, at this time, or I guess maybe more so in the middle of the summer, you know, people were wondering why Corbin Burns has this, this really filthy stuff that you could see was, was good, but he's, the, he's not getting the results. He's not using it properly. And now, oh boy, he is, he's, he's absolutely turned the corner and he's doing, you know, everything right. And I, I do think that it's, it's a, it's a data driven, um, heavily, heavily data driven approach to these guys, um, and also in terms of their workloads and what they're what they've been giving them in past years, that it's allowed them to ramp it up a little more this year. We've seen Woodruff 
try to go deeper in games. Burns go deeper in games. Hauser's gone deeper than he did um, at you know when he's been on um, this year than, than he did last year. So the, the pitching going forward is is definitely the the bright spot for the organization. And specifically, I think you do look at Woodruff from a starting standpoint. You look at Woodruff and Burns and. It's tough to when those guys are at their absolute best. It's hard to think of many duos in the National League that can match what they're doing. Yeah, many young duos, especially you know that are that are controllable for for the future. And you watch them, and you, their stuff matches the the results. I think that's part of it too. Is you know you can you, you watch Corbin Burns, and you're like, yeah, he's got five plus pitches. You know, they're all they're all good pitches. He's got solid command, and then you kind of the same thing with Woodruff. The velocity there, command there, the multiple deliveries, and that's what you're looking for um, when when you're going forward as as an organization. If you got those guys as your one two, you can you can really build around that. I want to ask you about Josh Hader, and I feel I hate asking these questions. And let me preface this by saying I, I th- he's having a fantastic season, and he he's had two tough outings. He had uh, the outing where he couldn't throw strikes, and then uh, he had the the second game of, of the Cubs series where he gives up a couple home runs. So I, I'm not worried about how he's pitching this year, but I've I've watched the velocity, and I know he was on a back to back the other day when he pitched uh, against the Cubs, but he was topping out you know, 95 two, 95 three, I think, is where his fastball was at. Even generally this year, even when he's rested, uh, he, he's not getting much past 97. And he's added the slider, so clearly overall he's putting together, you know, they can't sit fastball on him, so he's having more success. But is there, again, I feel dumb asking this question because I feel like he's pitched so well this year, but is there any concern specifically connected to that velocity being just a little bit down this year? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because. Because Hader, you you kind of look at his, his arsenal, his repertoire, and you're like, oh, he's more of a complete pitcher. I think is maybe the phrase mm-hmm. a lot of people, including myself, I'd probably say, he's been more of a complete pitcher this year. And he's got that slider, uh, and it's been a really, really good pitch. And he's not just living and dying by pumping 96 up the letters, uh, but pumping 96 up the letters was working, as except for when guys would obviously hit it and it would. It would it would travel, um, but the velocity has been down, especially on on back to backs or if he you know pitched two days ago, he's living ninety two ninety three, which is just it's not where you want to be. If you're him, he can get by with it sometimes, but it's it's not something you want on a, on a regular basis. And and part of the thing with Josh Hader is he's in the most he's pitching in the most volatile position in baseball. A, re- a relief pitcher. It's so rare for them to sustain excellence um, at that kind of level that he has been at, and he's been really good this year. But it does seem like he he's taken he's gone down a notch from being you know all caps Josh Hader to being maybe just will capitalize the first and last first first letter of his first name and the first letter of his last. What do you what do you attribute to a lot of people think, hey, you know what, there's no fans in the stands, it's tough to find that extra gear. I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know enough about uh, the, the mechanics and, and the art of pitching and what they've got him doing in the off season and everything. So I don't know if you've got an answer and it's okay if you don't, but what what can there be to attribute to his uh, velocity just being a, a tick down this year? Yeah, the velocity being a tick down I I, I it's 
I don't know if it's mechanical. Um, I'm I'm not super in tune to pick up something like that. Yeah. Um, you hope it's not, you know, an, an injury concern because it's a guy who's been healthy his entire career and hasn't even had to, you know, take a 10 or 15 day IL stint. Um, I think a lot of it is is just working on those back to backs because Velocity was good on on Friday night, and and it's been good in, in certain starts. But you think back to you know, that Pirates game where he just lost it, the velocity was, was down, he had no fastball command. So um, I'm sure that's something that the players are, are, are figuring out. And and, and those, those two kicks on the fastball don't seem like a lot, but when he was so reliant, he is still very reliant on that pitch um, and getting it in the right spot, having that velocity and also having the command to get it up and not be able to play, those are, those are huge. Let's finish off with this. The Brewers have made some moves this year, moving on from, from Brock Holt. They move on from Justin Smoke. They bring in Daniel Vogel back, and so far he's been he's put up pretty solid numbers. But uh, there, was so, there was so much criticism from a lot of the Brewers fan base in the offseason based off the moves that David Stearns made. And with, the, with, the, with them moving on from, from Holt and from uh, Smoke, it, it seems to confirm for a lot of people that those were not great moves. We don't know what would have happened happened in a 162 game season a normal season with no pandemic it would be completely different so I think it's hard to just say that well those were bad decisions because it's really hard to evaluate anything this year but it is notable in an offseason where it didn't seem like they made the splashy moves a number of the gambles that they took did not pay off yeah and there's there's a few staples you know kind of the Sternsian staples right like there's the short-term free agent deals, which is what we're talking about here. Um, there's a certain type of pitcher that he likes, like an Eric Yardley, um, a Brett Anderson, Wade Miley, the lefties at the cutters. Uh, um, he's the split finger throws. You know, there's a few certain type things in the draft. He wants athletes up the middle, and so part of their approach to team building under Stearns and in their competitive era has been short-term deals um, that are, you know, because they're, they're one- or two-year deals, it's lower risk financially, not so much lower risk in terms of, you know, the players being bad. Because as we saw this year, the risk was Justin Smoke was terrible. Um, pretty much everyone that he that they signed or acquired on the offense has been pretty bad except Jed Jerko. So you, you saw what they were going for, right? They're going for these, cost-effective, infield depth, guys that can play, you know, in a platoon, hit hit all right, try to catch some lightning in a bottle, um, and then if it doesn't work, just, you know, find some different guys for next year. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately everyone pretty much flopped except, like I said, Jerko. And I do think one of the big differences now – we don't know what finances are going to look like coming out of the the pandemic, and maybe what I'm about to say would be more true if we were coming off a, a standard 162 game season. But that, all that being said, 
this offseason, they've they've got Yelich locked in, so they, they don't have to sign any contracts with the thought in the back of their mind that, you know, how could this potentially impact a, a Yelich deal? That's done. And with Braun coming off the books, it just it feels like, to me, that there is certainly the potential for a very different-looking offseason this year. But again, I say that, and we don't know if any Major League Baseball team is going to be willing to uh, spend money after uh, the year that uh, they've had from a financial standpoint. Yeah, they, I mean, they were definitely in a cost-cutting, in cost-cutting measures or cost-reducing measures last offseason. I mean, you can, there's ways to, to, you know, to say, okay, you know, this, the Mustaka deal giving $65 million to him is maybe not sound or, or not resigning as money grand all, but um, those things aren't the reason that it, you know, you can say they, cut costs, but it was that compounded with them not signing anyone else, um, anyone else on a, on a big deal. You don't have to make that splashy move, you know, and, and commit all that money down the road. But it will be interesting to see how they follow an offseason in which they reduce salary um, to a, a pretty, you know, notable degree considering they're coming off a playoff appearance. Um, and, and then in a, in a year which there's a pandemic and a shortened season and lesser revenue. They probably were not expecting, you know, with Braun coming off the, off the books, maybe they were looking to go out and, and spend some money, whether it's taking on a, a contract in a trade or, or signing someone. But, um, it's the, the, the current situation of the world has thrown a lot of things into flux, obviously, and how a baseball team spends its money is not the biggest one uh, by, by far at all about those, but it is affected. As we wrap up, want to certainly spotlight some of the things that uh, that you're doing. You've gotten to cover some uh, Milkman games as they are in the postseason, and uh, this has been a really fun Milwaukee sports story this summer, and a summer with not a lot of good things. For people who have been paying attention, uh, what the Milkmen have been able to do is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, they've had fans in attendance all season, and from talking to you know the people that I was, I was talking to while covering their playoff game this weekend, a game one of their championship series, is, you know, they've all the reports back have, have been good. You know, they, was, the team has stayed healthy ever since a scare at the beginning of the year. Um, they've been able to keep the fans there. Nothing has been tied back to them um, in terms of an outbreak, which is obviously what your main concern is. And they're a good team. You know, they won the, the regular season title and, um, they won game one of the championship series. Game two, I believe, is going on as we are recording this. So, um, yes, it's 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 good to have a. It's nice to have that second baseball team, the second pro team, especially in Milwaukee. You know, play good baseball and play winning baseball. It's fun to see. What's uh What's it like? And I know you've done some new stuff during the pandemic, but whatever. What's it been like attempting to cover prep and and amateur sports with everything that's been going on? Yeah, things are sort of back to normal now, um, as normal as as they can be. You know, going out to practices and and you got volleyball teams wearing masks and you're you know, shooting photos and stuff like that. And tennis meets and things and football is back as well. So a little bit of normalcy, even though we don't. I don't think there's going to be many, if any, state tournaments. But yeah, it was, it's it's been. I believe I was on on the pod right before things everything got crazy and shut yeah. down. Surprise, February or so, and. You know, after that, it was basically doing news stuff at the at the Journal Sentinel for three, four months while, you know, the the normal news staff is just overloaded with with coronavirus coverage and just all the pretty much all the sports people, you know, were chipping out and 
and, and doing stuff like that. Did you uh did you spend much time in the building that was uh just uh left that they they left the the very famous uh, downtown building which they are no longer in? Yeah, it's, it is it is sad. You know, we weren't using that much of that huge building anymore. But I I, I would go I would go into the office a couple times a week and um, just kind of get that that real newsroom. You know, it's kind of one of those old newsrooms. Mm-hmm. Feels. It's, it's really what it is, and it was it was a cool building. I really really enjoyed um, my time getting to go in there, especially the kid who grew up, you know, just north of of Milwaukee. You know, you come down to the city for Bucks games and park right next to it. And I always wanted to get into journalism, so you know, seeing the building was was always kind of a, hey, I'd, I could work there maybe someday. And then to actually get to work there was was really cool, and it's sad that it will be it will be gone now. But that's that's life. Seems like uh, all the cool people have newsletters these days, and uh, you are certainly uh, under that category, and this is where uh, people listening to this podcast uh, should be very interested. Uh, how do people uh, find your newsletter, get uh, get on the list, or even just go view it uh, if, they, if they don't want to receive the email? Yeah, so I guess the best way would be to go to uh, brewersandtwins.substack.com. It's a Brewers and Twins newsletter as the URL gives away um, a couple buddies from Minnesota that I wanted to just have an avenue to write about baseball. And so I do most of the Brewers writing and they kind of focus on the Twins. And it's been, it's been nice to, to get you know, have that outlet. And we publish once a week, so you can subscribe for free. For free, um, so that is zero money, uh, a personal plug. You can subscribe, to it, uh, subscribe there, get it in your email, and we publish each week, sometimes twice a week. You know, I, let me preface. I have, I subscribe to the Journal Sentinel. I subscribe to the Athletic. I have zero. I I think people should subscribe to uh, to journalistic endeavors. It is something. I don't think it's just something that we should get for free. Uh, that being said, I'm always. I, I don't like it when there's a newsletter that I'm interested in that I that there's no mention of cost, and then I go and I, I go to sign up, and all of a sudden something pops up and it's like, yeah, this is going to cost money. I it, yours is free, which is good, but if it is going to cost money, I like knowing ahead of time. Yeah, it's uh, that is the news, the newsletter uh, business is in vogue, and especially took off after the pandemic started. It seems so. Like a couple months after we. We started ours up. All these other newsletters um, were sprouting up, and you know, we just want to just want to write. Uh, also, encourage people to follow Kurt on Twitter at c y r t h o g g. That's not how he actually spells his uh, his first name, but it's a, it's a fun Twitter handle. Kurt, thank you as always for your time, and look forward to doing this again in the future. Yeah, Matt, thanks for having me on. As Kurt Hogue joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered. WTMJ Mobile. Here's what's coming up for the Brewers this week. We talked about it early on. Huge week coming up. Huge, 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 huge week coming up as the Brewers they are going to play five games in three days against the Cardinals and as we record this on Sunday evening, the Brewers are two games back of St. Louis and there are ten games left between these two teams the rest of the way. So if the Brewers can go have success, if they were to win seven out of ten somehow against St. Louis down the stretch of the year, uh, even six out of ten. But uh, that that's kind of the stakes are high for this team now. The stakes are very high in every game, every win, every loss. It means so, 
so much. And uh, for the Brewers, uh, they will play a doubleheader on Monday. They will play a single game on Tuesday, and then they will play another doubleheader coming up on Wednesday. Uh, the doubleheader start times will be 4:10, and then Tuesday the single game will start at 6:40. And of course, you can hear those games on WTMJ, and make sure to be tuned in following the game for Brewers extra innings. And uh, on Sunday, when uh, this is true moving forward. Whenever the Brewers and Packers are playing at the same time, uh, you'll be able to hear the Brewers game on 94.5 ESPN, uh, the WTMJ's sister station. So that's where uh, that is. So if you ever tune into WTMJ and you hear the Packers and you want to hear the Brewers, just head on over to uh, 94.5 ESPN. If you want to stream the Brewers Extra Innings postgame show, uh, you can do that as well. Uh, obviously, uh, you know where to get it at uh, WTMJ.com when it's on WTMJ, but as when it hops over to 94.5 ESPN, go to WisconsinOnDemand.com, scroll over, listen, go down to WKTI, and then that will take you to the uh, the stream to be able to listen to Brewers Extra Innings uh, on days that uh, we are on 94.5 ESPN. All right, that is it for the program this week. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Thanks to Kurt Hogue for joining us here on the podcast as well. And we look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.